The Your Safe Space podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri land. This podcast acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Your Safe Space, the podcast. I'm your host, Adele Marie, and this podcast is here for you. It is a safe space for us to catch up each week to discuss anything and everything. And on today's show, we are talking about all the things that you want to ask your big sister. Now, guys, today's episode is going to be a little bit different than usual. Typically, I cover one topic, but today we are covering a few things around intimacy, sex, and periods. And first, before we get into that, I want to know, hi, how are you? Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for joining me again this week. How has your week been? What's going on in your world? As always, I love, and I say, I'm going to say this every week, I think. (laughs) I love, love, love seeing in the Facebook group what your highlights are, what your gratitudes are, what your struggles are. It's just really nice and comforting to be able to have that, I guess, two-way communication with you guys because sometimes I just come on here and before we had the Facebook group, I would be like, oh, how was your week? And I wouldn't really like know unless you sent a DM to the podcast Instagram page, but I can now read those in the weekly post. So it makes me really happy when you guys participate in that. And as always, I want you to hold space for that while I give you a little bit of update on how my week has been. So this week has been crazy in the sense that I mapped out all of the content or the tentative content until the end of the year for this podcast, because we are in November. And I don't know if anyone else is freaking out, but since when is it November? And why did October go so quickly? I have no idea, but it freaking flew. And now we're like a month away from Christmas. And I can't believe that. And so I'm trying to be an organized queen and I planned out all the episodes. And I also planned out like me pre-recording some because I want to have episodes up over the Christmas and New Year's break because the podcast studio, which I'm recording in, will close over Christmas and New Year's. And so I still want you guys to have episodes because I know what it's like to listen to a podcast that you really like. And then they go on holidays and you still want content and I get it. Trust me, I get it. So there will be content for you. I'm going to pre-record some stuff. Speaking of recording content, I'm recording this episode on Thursday. It's currently 2.30 p.m. And guys, this is the second time that I'm recording this episode. I tried to record it this morning, but there was actually construction work happening literally right outside the studio. And the walls are soundproof, but there is a glass window at the front. And so you could hear everything in the background. And it was just too much for me to, I guess, put the episode up with like a a not guilty conscience. Basically, I could not give you that content at all. I could not give you a podcast episode filtered with construction work sounds, drilling, banging, all that stuff. And so I've come back to the studio to re-record this episode. And I am a true believer in the fact that everything is happening for a reason, even if you can't see it. And so I think I was meant to re-record this episode because it's going to be better the second time around. And that's what I'm saying to myself. It's going to make me feel better. Now, (laughs) let's jump into my gratitude, my highlight and my struggle. And I want you guys to think about yours and I want you to hold space for yours as well while I'm talking about this. Now, I'm going to go into my gratitude first, which this week on Tuesday, we had a day off here in Victoria. It was a public holiday. I actually spent the day with my family and it was so nice. You guys would know that I love spending time with my family anyway, but it was a day where we went to my Yaya's house, who is my 
grandmother in Greek and my other uncle was there, my dad, my mum, and we had a beautiful meal. We were celebrating my uncle's birthday. It was his birthday on Monday, but he passed away a few years ago and it was just nice for us to celebrate that together. And it was also the first time I think that we had really gotten together since Papu had passed away. So um, he was my grandfather, if some of you following aren't following. And yeah, it was just a nice day and I was just really grateful that we all had work off. I wasn't editing. I was just enjoying everyone's company and it was just really wholesome and I loved that. And so that's my gratitude from this week. My highlight, guys, what the hell? (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to try and get through this without crying, but this podcast, Your Safe Space, for you, is able to be nominated in the Australian Podcast Awards as a listener's choice option. Now, the beautiful Christina did DM me on Instagram yesterday and told me that she voted for me. And I didn't even know that I was nominated or that the podcast was eligible, but apparently we are. (laughs) And so I'm going to shamelessly plug. I've got the link in the notes. I'm going to put it in the Facebook group too. If you haven't voted, please vote. I don't think we will win, but I want to give it a red hot crack because how cool if we do win it. It's not just for me, it's for you guys, but I just think listener's choice would be such a good vibe. (laughs) And I'm just so, so grateful because I've spoken to you guys about this many times. I am an independent podcast. When I say that, I don't just mean I'm solo. I mean, there's not a production team behind me. With a lot of other podcasts out there, they have production teams behind them. They have editing teams behind them. They have planning teams behind them and the host just typically will come in and like read the content or run through the run sheet. I do all of those jobs myself and I love doing them myself. It does not feel like hard work. I'm not saying that at all, but it is a lot of work and I love doing it. And I also just love when you guys give me that support because it goes so much further than what you realize. That vote or that interacting with me on the Facebook group or interacting with me on Instagram or rating the podcast or reviewing it or even just simply downloading it is so much support and I'm so grateful. So thank you if you have already voted. Thank you if you're going to vote and thank you if you've just been here from day one or you're a new listener or whatever. Just thank you to everyone. Okay. I love you guys. Look at me. I haven't even won and I'm thanking everyone, but that's genuinely how much gratitude I have for you. (laughs) And then my struggle, I'm going to keep it short and sweet because I do not want to give this man any more airtime. But you know how I said I had a second date last week? He cancelled on me literally like four hours before at like 4 p.m. last Thursday. And I usually have a lot of grace for people while dating. I think you're allowed to have maybe like one cancellation or two, not two cancellations, sorry, one cancellation up your sleeve. However, on this occasion, I'm going to say there was other red flags that I'm going to take into consideration. And so there's not going to be a second date. There's been no rescheduling. We're not going to give any more time, energy, effort there. And that's because actions speak louder than words. And so I'm going to say thank you next. Let's keep going. (laughs) Now, guys, let's jump into today's episode. The reason this episode is here is because you guys voted for it. And when I ran the feedback questionnaire a little, I think it was two weeks ago now, I had put in there, what dream podcast chats do you want to have? And there were so many in there for things around intimacy, things around periods, things around sex, things around dating and all that stuff. And I just thought, I'm going to put it into the poll this week. And sure enough, it got voted for. And so I'm calling this episode Big Sister Talk, basically. And I want it to be a space for people to come and get content like this that's safe for them to consume. And I'm personally excited about it because when I was growing up or even in my teens, 
teen years. I didn't really have anything like that. And I think it's much better now. There's heaps of podcasts out there. There's heaps of stuff on YouTube. There's heaps of content out there for you to consume. But I'm really showing my age here. The only thing I can compare it to is back when I had, what was that magazine called? Dolly Magazine. And in the middle of the magazine, there was some pages that were like stuck together at the edge. And this was called Dolly Doctor. (laughs) And what you would have to do is like unpeel this like little tab and then you could be opened up to like the juicy part of the magazine. And in there, there would be questions to topics and things like this that we're going to discuss today. So I just had Dolly Doctor back in the day. And I think as well, depending on your upbringing, some people may have had very sheltered upbringings and some people may just be interested because there were a lot of you that voted for this episode. So I want to jump into it and I'm excited because I haven't really created any other content like this. I do speak about it here and there in my weekly vlogs on YouTube, but not a whole lot. So we'll dedicate one episode to this. And if we need to do part two, part three, part four, why not? We can do that down the track. Now, I need to start this conversation by saying I feel like I had a fairly average, like open upbringing. My parents were pretty open about how all of this stuff worked. And I will say coupled with that, though, I did get sent to a Catholic primary school and a Catholic high school. And not that, and I mean, education may have changed since then. I finished high school ten, over 10 years ago now. I'm 29. And I just think it wasn't what it is now. And back then it was very much, we just touched on everything briefly and it was very briefly for like one week and not in a great lot of detail. And so today we're going to do some big sister advice on the following topics. So topic number one is period tips and managing that time of the month. Topic number two is advice for the first time that you have sex. Topic number three is how to deal with having a different sex drive to your partner. And topic number four is how to improve intimacy in a long-term relationship. Now, obviously, this advice covers a range of experience, but hopefully there is something in here for everyone. And as always, let's jump into the first topic, which is period tips and managing that time of the month. Now, I just want to say, if you are someone who is listening and has never had their period yet, don't worry. Hopefully, you can get some insight out of this. And I also want to say, if you're someone who's listening who doesn't get a period, there may not be anything specifically for you in this segment, but there might be something for someone who you know that gets a period or who you may live with. You may be in a relationship with someone who gets a period. So you might be able to take something away to help them as well. Now, I think I'll give you context as to my story. So I feel like I got my period when I was quite young. I got it in year six, which I think would maybe make me 12 or 13. I was very young. I was in primary school and I have told this story on my YouTube before, but it was my sister's confirmation day and I'd gone to the bathroom and I literally thought I was dying. (laughs) And I obviously wasn't dying. I didn't really know or understand what was going on, but everyone in my family was very excited. My mum was excited. I think she called my aunties and my nonna and I think I got a bunch of flowers. And I was like, what the hell is going on? This is not a good time. Why is everyone so excited? But I think my journey with my period has been I don't know what you want to call it, but it's been a long one. I think because I struggled with quite a bit of pain in my teens and some really heavy periods that I kind of almost like grew to resent it and grew to like almost hate getting it. And then moving into my 20s, I've gotten a better relationship with it in terms of understanding how my cycle works. I am obviously on the contraceptive pill as well, which we won't talk about in a great deal of detail, but I feel like I've got quite a bit of experience in managing my period. And so I wanted to share my top tips. And so tip number one is to start tracking your period. And 
this is something I wish I knew sooner. I didn't start tracking mine until I was about 23, 24, but I think it's super important for a few reasons. Firstly, because it will help you get to know your cycle so much better and you can't really understand something or fix something or make it better if you don't have a starting point and tracking it gives you that starting point. Tracking it gives you that data. You can do this in a few ways. I just use the health app on my iPhone. It doesn't even have to be an app that you download, but there are so many cool apps that you can download to help you go in and each day just log how you're feeling, log how your mood is, log how your appetite is, log how your body's feeling. I like to think of it as like a health journal because that's basically what it is, right? And it doesn't take too long to go in and do this daily, but by doing this, it helps you better understand your mood, helps you better understand your symptoms, helps keep you prepared and so you can expect when it's going to come. And once you get to that point where you're wanting to try for a baby, it could also potentially help you there as well. And I think for me, the best part about managing it has been seeing how my body reacts in that week before I get my period and those days, that those first few days of getting my period. Because that's for me when I feel it the worst. I have pretty bad PMS, pretty bad mood swings. And I know about six days out from my period that it's coming. And I can rely on that data to go in and say, oh my goodness, I'm crying over yogurt, even though it's not something worth crying over. (laughs) But I know that I'm so emotional or I know that I'm so on edge because I'm about to have this happen. And it just helps me manage those symptoms better. And then my second tip is to find the period products that work best for you. And I say this because it's so important to find what makes you feel comfortable. And obviously, we all have different bodies. We all do different things. There may be one period product that works for you that doesn't work for the next person. And there are so many options now. And I think it's amazing that there are. When I first got my period, it was just pads and tampons, basically. But now we have pads, tampons. We have period undies, which is so cool. We've also got menstrual cups. And there was another thing I found in the research, uh, menstrual discs as well, that could be used instead. And I will say just on that, regardless of what period product you choose to use, just make sure you're changing the products when they're meant to be changed. It's super important that you do that. And then the other tip I have on this is to always carry a emergency period kit with you. And I've learned this lesson the hard way, but now what I like to do is in my gym bag, and I used to do this in my school bag, and even in the car, I've got a little pack that's got a pad, some tampons, a change of underwear, and anything else, maybe even painkillers, anything else I may need in case I get it and I'm not expecting it, I've got it there. And I tell you, even on a night out, when I take my tiny little bag that just fits my phone, there's a tampon in there or there's a pad in there. And sometimes it's not me that's needed it. Sometimes it's been needed by someone else, but that's also a good thing as well. But I say that because you never know when it may come up and it's always better to be prepared as well. And then tip number three is extra self-care. Now I've written on the run sheet, When I am losing blood, you best believe I'm treating myself like a queen times (laughs) 100,000. And I'm CEO of treating myself like a queen on a regular day. But when I am working hard during my period, you best believe I'm looking after myself. And so some of my favorite types of self-care are hot cups of tea, having a really cute heat pack. I just like the ones you can chuck in the microwave for a little bit. I also like to dial back the gym. So I do weights at the gym. Instead of doing a weight session, I may do a walk on that day, on that first day or that second day, or I may just reduce the weight or reduce the reps as well. Your body is literally doing something amazing and you don't want to push it or do heavy exercise if it doesn't feel right. 
Okay. And I would say that exercise actually helps me with pain and also helps make me feel better too. So that's why I still like light exercise. Obviously find what works for you, but I'll definitely say a walk outside can also help with that endorphin rush and also just alleviate any pain if you experience that. And I also love to have certain clothes that I wear. So I've got comfy fits on usually. I'm either in a tracky set or any clothes that are like loose or stretchy that aren't going to be impacting my skin or aren't going to be too tight or like cutting into me. I don't want to feel that while I'm going through my period. No, I want comfort first. Same as having, you know, comfy undies that you can wear as well. And if you need to take painkillers, take your freaking painkillers. You don't get a prize for not taking painkillers. And if you're in pain and you're struggling, just take the painkillers. And I'll also say the other tip for self-care is to have sex. And I'm going to say sex on your period is not gross, guys. It's not gross, but that can help you, especially if you do have an orgasm, especially because that will release endorphins and that can alleviate the pain as well. And if you don't have a partner, I'm going to say masturbation or self-pleasure can also be self-care during that time for the same reason. So it can give you endorphins. And if you are worried about it being gross, I'm telling you it's not. But if you are worried about it being gross, you can always lay down a towel or you can jump in the shower. That can actually help you and make you feel better as well. And sometimes self-care is ordering Uber Eats, your favorite bit of food, and ordering whatever it is that you want and then jumping into bed and having an early night. It's really just finding what you need and giving yourself that and being able to do that for yourself. I'm not going to come on here and tell you what not to eat or what not to do. Absolutely not. I want you to feel good during that time and not that I need to give you full permission, but you have full permission to do whatever it is to give yourself that. And then tip number four is to nail the basics. Now, I've said this a lot on this podcast, but when I talk about nailing the basics, I'm talking about nutrition, I'm talking about food, I'm talking about sleep. And what I mean by nutrition is whole balanced food, not skipping any meals, making sure that you're eating enough, making sure that you are having enough water and staying hydrated. I personally love having like lots of fresh juices and lots of, I guess, nutrient filled juices or smoothies during my period. I'm a huge sucker for fresh OJ during that time. And I also want you to make sure that you're getting enough sleep. So your sleep helps with your recovery as well and helps you feel better too. And so those basics are just making sure that you're keeping yourself well fed, hydrated and rested because that can help you through that week too. And then my last tip is if you need, speak to your GP or your doctor. So when I say GP, I mean doctor, but I'm not going to ever give you like health advice on this podcast. Unless I get a doctor on this podcast, I won't be giving you health advice. But if you are someone who struggles with irregular periods, If you have very heavy periods, if you have very painful periods, and I mean, some pain is normal, but I'm talking about if it's interfering with like your day-to-day life, if your period is lasting for a really long time, so like over that seven-day mark, if your period stops or you lose it, or if you're getting like spotting between your periods, please speak to your GP. And I say that because that has happened to me in the past. And every time I've gone and spoken to my GP, we've done tests, we've figured out what's gone on, and then we've been able to deal with it. And I'm actually going through this at the moment. So I had a little bit of spotting between my last few periods. And I knew that because I track my periods and I'm on the pill. So that really shouldn't be happening. And so I went to my doctor and we're actually running a lot of tests at the moment. So I've got an ultrasound tomorrow. I've got a blood test tomorrow, and I'm hoping to get to the bottom of it. But I do that with the help of my doctor. And so if that's you or if you're struggling, please, please speak to your GP. And then my next question is advice for the first time that you have sex. Now, guys, before we get into anything, there's a couple things that I think we need to cover off when we discuss sex. So the first one is to be safe always. (laughs) 
And I usually do this in my AMA, but I always say safety first, because when you're having unprotected sex, that can put you firstly at risk of sexually transmitted infections, and it can also potentially cause an unwanted pregnancy. And so I don't care if you're having sex for the first time in general, or you're having sex with someone new for the first time, please, please be safe. And I also need to mention consent because, again, whether you're having sex for the first time or the hundredth time, consent of yourself and consent of your partner is so important and consent can change at any time as well. So making sure that you and your partner are fully consenting 100% of the time is so important. And I just needed to preface the conversation with that. Now, someone actually asked me, what is something I wish I knew about sex before my first time? But I think I had a pretty textbook time. And I'm going to say, mum, because my mum listens to this podcast, either skip ahead like three minutes or four minutes or don't or don't listen to the rest of this episode. <laughs> My first time was with my boyfriend in high school and I was 16. We used protection and I was at his house. I was in his bedroom. It was awkward as hell. (laughs) Like it wasn't like what you see in the movies. It was a little bit uncomfortable and we were both really nervous. We were both young kids and had no idea what the hell we were doing, but It was, I think, what a first time should be. And for me, I didn't really realize that that's what a first time would be at the moment. But looking back now, it makes sense and it's how I think it would be. And that's why I say it's textbook. I will say I felt 100% ready when I wanted to do this. I'd been feeling ready for a little while and we'd had conversations about it. And it was just, I guess, the next stage of our relationship. But I do need to mention that at the same time, a lot of my friends were having sex for the first time too. And I don't know if it was like a subconscious peer pressure, not a direct peer pressure, but maybe there was a subconscious peer pressure there too. But I still think I was 100% ready and I have absolutely no regrets about that first time at all. But some of the other questions I got were people worried that they were a certain age and hadn't had sex yet and like they were behind. And I think I've said this to you in other topics, but there is no rush, guys. You are exactly on time. You're exactly where you're meant to be. And I don't think there is a right or wrong time. I don't think there's a magic time. I don't think there's a magic age. I don't think there's a magic stage of a relationship when you should be having sex. I think it is such a personal decision that reflects your values and your relationship. And only you, and obviously your partner, can decide if you are ready. And I will say, you can decide if you're ready. You don't need your partner. Obviously, your partner needs to decide they're ready if it's their first time too. But only you can decide if you're ready. And the best time, I'll say, is when you feel ready. And some other tips I have, if it is your first time, let's jump into those now. So what I want you to think about is, is the person you're thinking about having sex with for the first time someone that you feel safe with? Are they somebody that you are comfortable with? And can you talk to them about it? So there was a question that came through. It was from someone who was asking, should they tell someone on the first date that they haven't had sex yet? And I would say, you don't owe it to that person to tell them on the first date. Like on the first date, you're still getting to know them. They're still getting to know you. You can tell them when you feel comfortable and when you feel ready. There should be no pressure, firstly, to tell anyone. But again, you want to make sure when you are ready, are you actually comfortable to talk about it? Are you comfortable and ready to move to that next stage? And then tip number two is to realize that it won't be perfect. And I mentioned this when I spoke about my first time. I can't believe I'm speaking. I spoke about my first time on this podcast. It really is a safe space. (laughs) And I feel like I tell all my secrets on this podcast, but the first time is not going to be perfect. And that's okay as well. 
I think it's so normal to have a really awkward first time. I think it can be overwhelming as well. And I also think it's important to know that that doesn't mean that the sex is always going to be bad, right? And I think what I've learned in my own experience is that when you have sex with someone and it's continued over a longer period of time and you become more comfortable with them, it gets better because you learn each other, you are able to then communicate what you need and you're also less nervous. And so I think there is obviously that first time nerve because it's a new experience for you both. And even if you're the person that hasn't had sex before and someone else has, it's still their first time with you. So it can still be quite overwhelming. And then as for the pain and if it hurts, I'm going to say it may feel a little bit uncomfortable. There may be some slight discomfort, but if it is causing you intense pain and it is so painful that it's like agonizing, stop. It should not be doing that to you. I will say because it is a new feeling, it may feel weird, but if you are able to keep relaxed, if there has been foreplay, so lots of kissing, lots of touching, then that can also relax you as well and make it a little bit more seamless. And on that, I'll say if you need, that's what lubrication is for because that can help as well, especially if you're having quite a bit of friction. There may be friction there and so that can alleviate that and make it less painful for you if that's what's causing the pain. But if you're in intense pain, please stop. That shouldn't be happening. You can always try again another time when that pain is not there or if the pain persists, obviously see a doctor. And then the last point for tip two is there may also not be a climax or an orgasm for either partner for the first time. And that's okay as well. That's completely normal. As I said, you may both be nervous. This isn't a sign that it's never going to happen. As I said, the more that you communicate with them, the more comfortable you become with them, that confidence and that comfortability will build over time and you can slowly work your way up to that. And then my last tip for this is masturbation or self-pleasure. And I think... If you're not feeling sexually empowered or experienced, my advice is definitely to masturbate and get familiar with yourself. And I think it's a great way to learn what you like. I think if you learn what you like, that then makes it easier to tell your partner what you like and it can make the first time more comfortable for you too. And I also think that one of the biggest struggles with being sexually empowered is not knowing what we want sexually. And so you can still create your own sexual experiences with yourself without having to do that with a partner. So if you are particularly worried about going into your first time, I feel like that can almost be an antidote for it because a lot of the nerves that you might feel or the apprehension that you might feel comes from not knowing or the unknown. So when you familiarize yourself with yourself, confidence will naturally build. And in my own experiences, the best experiences I've had have been when I've been really comfortable and in the moment and being able to talk to my partner or articulate what I wanted. And so I think if you're not having sex with anybody yet or you haven't had sex yet, you can control that and experiment with yourself. And so that is my last tip because that is a way that you can control or work on how you enjoy pleasure. And then that can come in handy when the time does eventually come for you to have your first time. And obviously, whenever you have your first encounter, I hope that it is comfortable. I hope that it is exactly what you want it to be. And it may take some fumbling around and trial and error, but that's normal too. Don't panic because if you want, there will be more opportunities in the future. And there's always the time to experiment and work on learning yourself as well. And then my next question, guys, is 
how to deal with having a different sex drive to your partner. Now, this came up so much. I could not believe how much it came up. And I firstly think that this is so normal. And in the research I did for this episode, I found that it it is incredibly common. And it's also so unlikely and so unusual that two partners will have 100% of the same sex drive or libido 100% of the time. It's just impossible, right? I also think it should not be a deal breaker. And I believe that it can be worked through with communication and some practical tips as well. I also think it should be something that is worked on because I have gone through this in some relationships and I'll give you some tips and tricks as well. But what happens is when you have one partner that has a very high sex drive and then another partner that has a low sex drive for whatever reason, sometimes what happens with the partner with the higher sex drive, they can start to feel a bit neglected or they can start to take it personally, even if it's not I I don't think it is personal against the partner that has a higher sex drive, but that can happen and then they can slowly start to build resentment. And then the other person with the lower sex drive may start to carry some guilt and may start to carry some anxiety and then that builds resentment as well. So then you've got this resentment cycle that can just keep bubbling away. And so what I recommend firstly is getting super comfortable to talk about it together because communication is huge in this. And when I say communication, I mean respectful communication. (laughs) So I mean respecting each other's feelings, respecting each other's insecurities, respecting each other's needs, and trying to work towards an outcome where both of your needs are being met. I'm not going to sit here and say you need to have sex this many times a week, not at all. But You need to see what each other's needs are and then also have an element of compromise in there as well, but work towards that happy medium. And I will say, even if one partner does not understand the other person's experience or situation, you want to make sure that they are still showing empathy and like still validating the other person, still listening and withholding judgment so that you can both navigate the mismatch together because it's both of you that need to work on the mismatch. It's not just the partner with the lower sex drive that has to work on it. It's, a t- it's actually a team effort, right? And so my second tip is looking outside of the bedroom. And I say this because it's important to look at sleep. It's important to look at stress. It's important to look at all other areas of your life, work, health, and any other external things that can be impacting it. It is so normal to have a lower sex drive if you are highly stressed. If you are sick, it is so normal to have a lower sex drive. If you're struggling with things at work, it is so normal to have a lower sex drive. If you're on certain medication, that can also impact your sex drive as well. So I would say look at those areas and see if there is any areas outside of the bedroom there that there are things that you guys can work on together to improve sleep or reduce stress or understand what impact any of that is having and really working on that as a team if you can. And then thirdly, my tip is scheduling it in. Yes, life is hectic. But I think once you add work into the mix, I think once you add kids into the mix as well, it can often get forgotten about. But I think the best thing about planning it out is you can pick a time where both partners are feeling energized or both partners are feeling engaged and you know it's in the calendar so you make time for it. And I feel like that also then helps build that anticipation with each other and it can also then ensure that both partners are ready. Like they're anticipating it and they're ready. So they're ready physically, emotionally, and mentally. And then tip number four is making sure the things that happen before sex takes place and after sex takes place are important. So beforehand, what I'm talking about is everything outside of the bedroom, having thoughtful conversations, making sure you guys are laughing and having fun in your relationship, having fun out of the bedroom. It's also 
giving your partner compliments. It is also having date nights with each other. It is building that romance outside of the bedroom. It's also making sure that you can have meaningful like hugs and kisses outside of the bedroom as well. And then when I say afterwards, I'm talking about aftercare. So that time right after you guys actually have sex, taking it slow and engaging in a cuddle or engaging in some kissing or even just having that pillow talk. I feel like that's a really good opportunity to have that really deep and vulnerable conversation right after that moment instead of just going straight to sleep. And one thing I have learned, especially in past relationships where this is something that I personally struggled with myself, having a lower sex drive than my partner, was that your sex life will benefit when healthy relationship behaviors are taking place outside of the bedroom because the relationship as a whole feels more nourished and appreciated. And then lastly, my tip number five is to get really clear about what actually turns you on in the bedroom. And this means unpacking it and having a conversation with your partner and also having them do the same and then seeing how you can both work on this in the relationship together. And I'm going to give you an activity in the next question. And then finally, I need to say this because sometimes your body sees things before your brain does. And some of you are going to be like, Adele, this is really woo-woo, but trust me, sometimes your body may also be trying to tell you something. You may go off sex with your partner because your body is literally getting the ick because they are not the right partner. And again, I've had this happen as well in the past where that sex drive was almost non-existent and I thought it didn't even exist for me. And then as soon as that relationship was over, I was out of it. I was like, oof, it's back. Like it wasn't me. It was the relationship or the dynamic that wasn't working. And sometimes your body sees that first. And then the last thing I'm going to say on this is if your partner is pressuring you into sex, not wanting to communicate or work through it with you, they are not the right partner. And I know that's a heavy take, but I'm going to say there's a healthy way to go about repairing this and working towards a better outcome. And then there's a partner not giving a shit about how you feel and either pressuring you or making you feel bad. And that's not something that you need to accept either. And then our final question is how to improve intimacy in a long-term relationship. Now, this question does have some similarities to the last question, but I think as well, it's very normal being in a long-term relationship. Things can get really comfortable, work, life, kids, and whatever else you've got going on. I think it is really normal for the intimacy or that spark to kind of dwindle. And I also think that intimacy or emotional intimacy doesn't have a great deal to do with in the bedroom. I think a lot of it happens outside of the bedroom. And I think it's really great if you are noticing this at any point in your relationship and are wanting to work on it. Because when you do work on it, it can help both partners feel appreciated. It can help both partners feel acknowledged. It can also deepen your connection to each other, which is really beautiful. And if you have been feeling particularly like, bored in the relationship, if the relationship has been feeling quite negative or there's been a lack of physical intimacy, by working on your emotional intimacy, this can help increase it. And it can also then help you improve your relationship with yourself as well. Now, again, my first tip is to look outside the bedroom because emotional intimacy has a little bit to do with inside the bedroom, but most of it is outside the bedroom. And my first tip is to get your partner to do the love languages test and to get you to do it as well. And I've spoken about this here and there on my Instagram stories. But this helps you figure out how your partner wants to receive love. And you can figure out how you want to receive love and how you guys give love. And then you are able to better meet each other's needs. There are lots of different ways that you can meet each other's needs. And I mentioned some of them before. Some other ones that I've got written down are 
having affectionate touch outside of the bedroom and also giving your partner affection in the way they want to receive it. There are a few different love languages. I'm not going to go into all of them now. We might actually do a podcast episode on them because I think they're so interesting. But you need to be able to show your partner love and affection in the way that they want to receive it. And I said before, having fun together, complimenting each other, really having quality time if that's what they want, doing acts of kindness or acts of service if that's what they want or if that's what you want, making sure that they're able to do that for you and just being very conscious about your relationship. And sometimes it can even be as simple as just spending more time together. But I think this is so important. It's really taking that conscious approach to your relationship together. And again, as I said in the last question, it's a dual effort. It's a team effort. It's not just on one partner to do this. It's on both of you. And then secondly, I would say open up the dialogue about it. Outside of the bedroom, make time to have these deep conversations. And I did go through some stuff in the assertiveness episode, the asking for what you want. You could definitely apply some of that to the conversation, picking the right time, making sure your partner's not feeling super stressed or not in a bad mood or that you're not feeling stressed or you're not in a bad mood, you're both open and willing to have these conversations. And the reason I suggest that is because there's another quiz that you can do and I cannot remember for the life of me which one it is, but it's an intimacy quiz. Basically what this intimacy quiz does, and I think if you Google it, you can find one, but it goes through all of the things that your partner does that you really like. And then there's other things that your partner could do that they may not be doing. And then there's other things that you could just put in there if you want your partner to start doing. And it is really cool because you get to see, and both of you fill it out, but you get to see what it is that you are looking for or what it is that you are needing, what needs that you're having. And then you also get to see that with your partner as well. And it opens up the dialogue to have that conversation about what you do and don't like both in the bedroom and out of the bedroom. And I would say, do something like this regularly. Maybe it's every six months you guys just check in with each other. Have this catch up where you go through what's working in the relationship, whether it's in the bedroom or out of the bedroom, and just making space for those conversations. Because I say this a lot, but having those conversations, even if they may feel uncomfortable, can save relationships. And I think once you start having them, they become more comfortable, they become more natural to have. And then my third tip is to try something new together. Again, I'm going to say either in or out of the bedroom, try something new or maybe you're changing it up. It could be trying new hobbies together or you could maybe change the location of when you're getting down together. Maybe it's some new lingerie or maybe it's different candles or maybe it's different lighting. There's many different ways in and out of the bedroom that you can change it up and change up the routine to keep it interesting and have that input from both of you again, taking what you learned from the intimacy sheet and putting that into practice. And then my fourth tip is to focus on the good. And I will go into this one day, but I was in couples therapy with an ex-partner. And one of the things that I learned in that was that very similar to gratitude, but in a relationship, when you focus on the bad, the bad just grows, right? So if your partner's annoying the shit out of you and you keep ruminating on all the shit things that they're doing, you then keep noticing all the shit things that they're doing. But when you focus on the good, the good grows. So when you're focusing on the times where your partner is doing you a favor or making you laugh or making you feel good or making you feel safe or making they're doing something sweet, thank them, genuinely thank them and also genuinely focus on that and double down on that energy. It's very similar to gratitude. I'm not saying to ignore any bad behaviors. Of course, I'm not. Obviously, everything that I provide to you, I try to give you like a very balanced advice. But I will say when you start focusing on the good, similar to gratitude, the good will grow. And then my last tip is don't be afraid to ask for what you want. 
both in and out of the bedroom. And there were a few questions in there where some of you had said, how do I ask for this? He's really good at this, but I don't know. Again, I would say go back to that assertiveness episode and figure out firstly what it is that you want to ask for and then ask them for it. In a committed relationship, in a healthy relationship, you should be able to communicate this to your partner. And I will say it can take time and that's okay. It is a team effort. It's you guys working towards this better outcome together, but it is absolutely possible to work towards it. And I think it can be super exciting and deepen your relationship as well. But guys, I feel like we can wrap the episode up there and I hope that you guys got something out of it. I will obviously pop this into the Facebook group as well. I would love to hear any period tips, any intimacy tips. If you guys are comfortable, drop it in there. Let's open up that chat. And I also want to say, if you're not in the Facebook group, come and join us, please. It is a beautiful space. I absolutely adore it so much. Everyone in there is just magical. And I also want to say we have a weekly giveaway too that I run every single week on the Your Safe Space pod Instagram. You can find that in the bio or in the notes as well. Some people have been asking me how to enter the giveaway. It's very simple. I announce it either on a Sunday or a Monday. It runs for the week and basically I just need you to be following the Instagram page and then I usually get you to like the post and it's super simple. You don't have to do anything else, but I just pick one winner at random every week and I've been doing it since we launched and I freaking love doing it and I'm going to keep doing it. So thank you if you've entered a giveaway. Thank you if you've won one and keep entering if you have. There's no rules on how many times you can enter or how many times you can win, but obviously I want to keep going and I want there to be as many winners as possible. And I'll also say one last time, if you want to vote for me in the Australian podcast awards please don't be shy (laughs) please give your girl a vote I will be forever grateful and if your safe space wins we win it's not just about me it's us so I would love to celebrate with you guys and on that if you like this episode please also leave me a review or a rating tell your friends about it send this to someone if you liked it share it on your story I appreciate your support as always but guys thank you so much for joining me I hope that you had a beautiful weekend I hope that you have an amazing week ahead I hope something magical happens to you and I can't wait to see you in the next episode or speak to you in the next episode all right I'll see you next time bye (laughs) 